Well, hello everybody all around the world. I've got to say good morning, good night, good evening, good afternoon, because we just cover the globe. And we're over here in the UK, so this is our morning. Not too far off of lunchtime, actually. And in the studio with me today, I have again got our man on the ground in Northern Ireland, and that is Hugh. Hello, Hugh. Hello, Iris. It's so nice to be meeting it together again in the Lord's name and to have all your listeners listening as we share God's word. That's wonderful. Have you bought the airline out there yet? Well, we're working on it. <laughs> I, I say that everybody, it's a sounding joke because we, he usually zooms in, you see, on his own aircraft, so to speak. But there yeah. you go. <laughs> All right. Zoom. I think <laughs> we're going to zoom. Yeah. Zoom. That's good, isn't it? Zoom. <laughs> uh, I think we're going to be in Hebrews again today. Um, is that right, Hugh? 13. Yes, we've gone through the book of Hebrews and we've um, got to chapter 6. And the, today we're following on uh, at verse 13. But just a little bit to recap is that. All I believe is the writer that he has a strong desire to move on into God's word and into God's things of his salvation and of his kingdom. And he's, he's wanting not to start to relay the basic doctrines of the Christian belief and faith, but he wants him to move on into greater things and the deeper things in the kingdom of God. And he gives them a, a warning that the danger is that if they do get into these things of God, it brings with it a great serious responsibility. So he gave them a warning about the consequences of apostatizing from the truth. Now, that's a, that is a principle, and that is a fact of truth, which we do well to bear in mind, because I believe that before Jesus comes back, there will be a general apostasy from the truth, even though God sends out his blessing, there will be this apostasy after receiving all that God has wants to give people. Uh, Jesus said himself that there is an hour of trial coming upon the world to test those that are there. So that's just something, by the way. But he did give a warning. But however, now he says in uh, verse 9 that he's persuaded of better things things that accompany salvation, though he's thus speaking like that. For he says, God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. So God remembers what we are doing, what we have done for his glory, and he's with us in our lives as we seek to serve him and follow him. So what we have showed toward his name and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. So ministry of the saints is to the saints. So that's the body ministry. We all, in a sense, are ministers, uh, priests in the priesthood of the Lord Jesus under the one high priest, that's the Lord himself. So he's now saying that they desire that every one of them to show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. You know, if you've ever seen a picture or a film clip of a sloth, it moves so slowly, 
it really would make you really say, what? why is it moving so slowly? A sloth moves so slowly. So he says, don't be slothful about the things of God, but be followers of them who through faith, those people who, who show an example, who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Those are the two key words here, faith and patience will inherit the promises. So don't give up. Don't give up. Keep on trusting God with patience and keep on exercising your faith through the circumstances that life brings across your path and you will inherit God's divine will and promise for your life. Verse 13 now this morning. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. God could not find anybody or anything anywhere who was greater than himself. And he wanted to make this promise very sure to Abraham. So the word of God says that he swore uh, by himself, saying, Surely blessing, I will bless thee, and multiplying, I will multiply thee. Now Abraham and Sarah at that time, I think he was about 100 and she was 99, had no children. But God was promising that he would bless them and multiply their seed. And that, of course, did happen in the miraculous power and might of God. So our God is a mighty God. There's nothing too hard for the Lord. There's nothing impossible for our God. We serve the only true and living God and his son, the Lord Jesus. So God is able to do far above all that we can ask or even think of him. So in this instance, Paul's showing that God uh, wanted to really show to Abraham that he will fulfill this promise, and he swore by himself. So God made it very sure that there would be seed and children coming from the loins of Abraham and of Sarah. So when things look difficult, when things look impossible, always remember that we serve a God of the possibility, a God who can do anything at all times. We don't see him, but he wants us to trust him. And 15, verse 15 says, and so after he had patiently endured. So there is some endurance in waiting patiently. It's not easy, but you carry on no matter if despite the circumstances, you keep believing God. The, uh, the circumstances of life at times can be trying and testing, but he patiently endured. He obtained the promise. And sure enough, little Isaac was born, the, the son of his promise. For men verily swear by the greater. So he says that as regards men are concerned, whenever they're going to swear and make sure that everybody knows that this is serious, they, they find someone greater or something greater that they can swear by. And an oath of confirmation is to them an end of all strife. So making an oath and swearing by an oath is a confirmation of an action which is absolutely and totally finished and sure. That's what it means. There's no more strife about it. So he says, wherein God 
willing more abundantly. So now God's set getting in on a picture here with Abraham and Sarah. And the, the, we know today that the uh, entrance of the children of Israel into the world through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were in God willing more abundantly. So God was very much involved in this situation with Abraham to bring about this nation which he had chosen to begin in Abraham and his descendants. So God was willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise. God wants to show unto you and to me the promises that he has made for us in Christ Jesus, our Lord and Saviour. That by two, uh, immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath. So God has made a promise and he made a promise in Abraham. He made a promise um, to uh, Adam in the garden that his seed would put his heel, damage the, the enemy's head. And that was seed, it was a seed, the Lord Jesus. And God has also looked at the seed of, he has promised his Messiah, his son, along this whole course of humanity. So God was making very sure that Abraham knew that this was not just a chance meeting. This is not just an accident. This was something that God and all that he is, is behind and bringing to pass this promise and this counsel, confirming it by an oath. That by two immutable things, things which are cannot be changed, two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie. See, there's one thing that God won't do. He can't lie. It's impossible for God to lie. He might, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Now, brothers and sisters listening to this um, session today, we're all in a moving life, getting older, and we're heading for the end of our term on this world. So we're reaching out for, uh, we're fleeing to get refuge. And that's what this Christian life is about. We're looking for something to hold on to. We're looking for some promise that God has given us and he has given that us in his son, which uh, for us, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge. You see, that's the thing that we need to do. We need to flee uh, from the problems of life, whatever they're facing us. We need to flee to God and call upon him in the name of his son, Jesus, for refuge, to lay hold. We need to lay hold upon the hope. That's what God says. Child of God, don't give up. Lay hold upon the hope that I've set before you. God has set a great hope before us a hope that will bring us into his presence. You see, we can't see God, but by faith and by hope, we are sure that we will fulfill and find ourselves in God's presence. God has made and sworn that if we put our faith in him through his son, the Lord Jesus, we will eventually, once we leave this world, and leave it, we all shall, 
unless we're part of the last generation that will be translated, given a new body, and, and, and go up to meet with Jesus when he comes back. But every one of us will have to come to an end in this world that we're living in. But with here we have the chance to hold on, on to this hope set before us. So God has set this hope before us. Now listen, verse 19. Which hope we have as an anchor to the soul. You see, this is a hope that's very, very real and very sure. This is not a hope that we will be let down in or fail. No, this is a hope, as it says, like an anchor to the soul. An anchor holds the ship fast. It holds it fast amidst the storm above and the winds raging and the ship is moving. But the anchor is holding the ship fast. So this hope of God, when we have it in our heart of hearts, holds our soul fast for God, both sure and steadfast. These are tremendous words, both sure and steadfast. So don't let anybody um, dissuade, dissuade you or discourage you about this hope. God says, this hope I have sworn by myself. I have put myself on the line with this hope for you. Don't be getting dissuaded. Don't let the circumstances or the enemy try and convince you that this is a hopeless hope. It's not. God says it's both sure and steadfast, which entereth into that within the veil. Now this is becoming very important. God says this hope goes actually goes beyond this world. It goes beyond this life. It enters right into the very presence of God, into the most holy of holies. Not as it was in the Old Testament tabernacle, but right into heaven itself. Whither? Listen, this is the most wonderful statement in the scriptures. Whither the forerunner is for us entered. See, we have someone who's gone through the process of coming into this world, being sent by the Father into this world, born in the womb of a virgin, raised in life, and ministered, unctionized by the Holy Spirit, and gave his life for us at Calvary. God raised him from the dead. And he brought him and ascended up in the very presence of God. And that's what Jesus went through this process. And on the way, his precious sacrifice on his blood has paid the price for sins. God has obliterated once and for all, all the sin of humanity. No one need have to face the judgment of God if they accept the offer of God's salvation and forgiveness if they repent and turn to the Lord. Jesus stands at the door of our hearts and knocks, and he says, whoever will open the door, I will come in and sup with him. This is a great hope. This is a great salvation. And here's telling us that this person, Jesus, or Yeshua today in his Hebrew name, Yeshua has actually gone on through. He's made the way for us right into the very presence of the eternal God. And he's made a high priest forever after the order 
of Melchizedek. So that's where that's where it is that our our hope is in God, who has brought Jesus into His presence. And I can say today, without any fear of contradiction or doubt, that Jesus is in the presence of God and all the saints, both old and new saints that have passed on in this life, who put their trust and believe God, that they have entered on into God's presence. And there they are now in the safety and in the security of the eternal habitation of God. What a place to be in the very presence of the eternal God and having there our Lord Jesus, Yeshua, the Messiah, our Savior, and he's also our great high priest, which means he hasn't finished his ministry yet. He's operating as a great high priest in heaven for us. He's praying, he's pleading, he's speaking for us on our behalf. What a tremendous hope this is. There's not anything else on this earth or on this planet anywhere like what God has done for us. And he's done it all through the Lord Jesus. What a tremendous hope. What an assurance of salvation this brings into our hearts. What security. It's amazing that God has done this. Now it says that Jesus is in the very presence of God. He's gone through the veil. That veil that God tore down in the temple of Israel. That sacrificial system obviously failed because of the weakness in human nature. But Jesus was born a sinless person, a sinless man, a sinless person like a, a lamb of no blemish, and he gave his life for us. And thus he was able not to die for his own sins. He had no sins to die for, but he died for the sins of all mankind, all the sins that Satan managed to bring about from the fall of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, all the sins of humanity. Jesus has broken that power and that power of sin. Jesus has made a way for God to clear away and to forgive every sin that has been committed. That's why it's important for people to hear the good news and say, you don't have to carry your burden of sin because you'll carry it right to the white throne of God and you'll be rejected because that sin has been dealt with and you should have got rid of it at Calvary. You should have got rid of it before the Lord Jesus. That's the whole point of this. Now, Jesus is in heaven, it says here, on after the order of Melchizedek. What is this order of Melchizedek? We're going to read in and find out a little, about, a little bit about Melchizedek. A strange uh, personality that appeared in the Old Testament and once again had a... Um, an encounter with Abraham, our old forefather of our faith, Abraham. And uh, it says here, for this Melchizedek, now Jesus was made a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. For this Melchizedek, king of Salim, Salim, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings, Unblessed him. You need to read the, the book of Genesis and the history of Abraham and this whole background 
at the time of Sodom and those kings. And Abraham had to go to war with them. But as he returned back with the victory and the spoil of the goods, this Melchizedek met him. He met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. To whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all. So Abraham, it seems that as he met Melchizedek, he recognized this man as someone special sent by God. This man has been given a, a place in God's will and purpose in those days of the Old Testament. This was a priesthood uh, before any other priesthood was made. And it says that Jesus was made a high priest after the order of this Melchizedek. But let's read on. To whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all. So Abraham felt he should give some gift to this king, this man, this priest, this priest of Melchizedek. Um, a tenth part of all. First being by interpretation, king of righteousness. So this, this person, Melchizedek, who was a great priest, was a king of righteousness. His life was a righteous life. And after that also, king of Salem, which is king of peace. So he was a king of righteousness and a king of peace. Now listen to this next verse. It's amazing. Without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made. You see, that word made means he was made. God made this person, this high priest, this Melchizedek, to operate and to provide a go-between in those days in that Old Testament. He was made like unto the Son of God. Although the Son of God, Jesus, was was following the order as far as God is concerned, when God swore that he would be a priest after the order of Melchizedek, that is a very high situation that Jesus entered into when God made Melchizedek and made him for doing a certain purpose, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. It's a mystery, but it's God's creation. It's God. He said he was made like unto the Son of God. So God knew that his Son was coming, and his Son would have that eternal life and being because he is God the Son, as well as the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. This Melchizedek is someone that God made specifically to minister and to do his work on the earth at that time. And Abraham met him, recognized him, and seeing that he was the king of righteousness and the king of Selim, which is the king of peace, and he gave him a tenth of all the spoils that he had gotten from that war. So Jesus is made a high priest after the order of this man. And this man was made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. So Jesus is the pattern that God 
made Melchizedek, Melchizedek after that he would abide a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. Now the writers turning our attention to the fact of the importance of this king of Melchizedek. Why? Because Jesus himself is now a high priest after this order. And I consider because he knows that out of Abraham shall come Isaac and Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel, and one of those tribes uh, will be dedicated as a tribe of priesthood. And Abraham's brother, I think it was Aaron, would be a, another high priest uh, set of priests in Israel. But now he's going to bring out some, some uh, serious considerations here. Now consider how great this man was, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham. So Abraham was the first and the greatest person of the nation of Israel, gave the tenth of the spoils. And verily, they that are of the sons of Levi, now he's speaking about the Levitical priesthood that was set apart in Israel, that tribe of Levi, who were dedicated to be the priests who work on work a service in the temple, who receive the office of the priesthood have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law, that is, of their brethren. This Levitical priesthood were not given um, land and houses like a whole, a whole part. They were given a certain amount of land around the temple to live there, and um, but not treated. They, their inheritance was the Lord and the temple, the Levitical priesthood. So they were to take tithes of the people according to the law. That was to sustain themselves on, on their offerings to God. They would get a portion of that. That is of their brethren, though they come out of the loins of Abraham. So what Abraham is, what um, this writer is pointing out is that in Abraham where came this Levitical priesthood, Abraham, and that Levitical priesthood, you'll just see it now as we come to it, is actually part of giving a gift, a tenth to Melchizedek. So Melchizedek was set on a higher order than the Levitical priesthood. But he whose descent is not counted from them, that's the Melchizedek, received tithes of Abraham and blessed him that had the promises. Abraham had the promises, but this priesthood received the tithes. He was the one that was given the tithes. And without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. So Abraham was less in the status and position than Melchizedek. And Melchizedek was giving the blessing to Abraham. That's showing you how important this person of Melchizedek is. How he has no, no, um, no history, but he was made like unto the Son of God. But he was such a high person that Abraham came and gave him. Abraham gave him. He didn't give to Abraham. And here, men that die 
receive tithes. So what he's saying, in this priesthood of Levi, after they serve God, whatever years God has appointed to them personally, they die and obviously are buried. So the priesthood goes on, but the, the priests are dying. They need to be replaced by other priests who are dying, need to be replaced by other priests. And here men that die receive tithes. So these men who received the tithes from the nation of Israel to work out God's service in the temple, these men died off. But there he receiveth them, of whom it is witness that he liveth. So Melchizedek does not die off. Where he is today, I don't know. He could have been brought back to heaven. Maybe he's in heaven. Maybe he's still on the earth. I don't know. And there's no point in trying to invent stuff or think stuff about Melchizedek. Better just sticking to what the scriptures tell us about him and leave it at that. But he witnesses that he liveth. So Melchizedek is not a priest that was going to die off. God made Melchizedek like unto the Son of God to endure forever. So he's got he's got this priest to do whatever he wants to do for him, God has. And as I may so say, Levi also, who receiveth tithes, had tithes in Abraham. What he's basically saying is there what I said earlier, that Levi in the loins of Abraham, who received tithes, are actually given tithes in because of Abraham to this man. For he was yet in the loins, there it is, for he was yet in the loins of his father. That was Abraham was his father. Uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jacob, one of the 12 tribes was Levi, when Melchizedek met him. Now, what, what the writer, all I believe, is trying to bring through in Revelation as we go on is to show that Jesus, Yeshua, hallelujah, I can get excited with this thought, that Jesus, Yeshua, has, has been given. You see, he was a man. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, Yeshua. But now he has been exalted to the highest place on the throne of God. There's a man up in the glory. There's a man sitting on the, high, on the throne of God. If, therefore, he says in verse 11, perfection, whereby the Levitical priesthood were under it, the people received the law. So he's asking, he's saying if perfection was given by Levitical priesthood, if a Levitical priesthood was able to implement a, a certain completeness and perfection, were under it, the people received the law. So if that was a, a complete and a perfect operation of God, as regards God and the people and the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek? Now he's talking about Yeshua. If the whole Levitical priesthood, if that whole story of that priesthood and the nation of Israel was sufficient to satisfy all of God's requirements, what further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron. Aaron was the high priest. Levi was the priest. 
generally priests doing the work, but Aaron was the high priest who entered into the most holy place once a year. So of all that priesthood of Levi and of Aaron was 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 su sufficient and supplying a completeness of service towards God. He's asking a question. What's the point? What need is there for someone else now? And that someone else is the one that we worship above all, the Lord Jesus. What need was there for someone else to arrive after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? So God bypassed Aaron, Levi. He bypassed Aaron and the priesthood that he was given unto his son. He wanted that priesthood to be an eternal priesthood. The Levitical, the Levitical people died, the priest died, Aaron died. But Melchizedek is not a person that died. It says he is neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God. So God had his son in mind when he made Melchizedek that when Melchizedek had been made, that when his son came through into the human race, that he would be made after the order of that priesthood and not after the order of Levi or Aaron. is not amazing. For the priesthood being changed, now these are important facts. For the priesthood being changed, God has changed the priesthood as regards himself and his son. I want you to think on one hand, you have the Levitical priesthood with the Aaronic priesthood, doing all the work in the Old Testament, but not has been changed. There is made of necessity a change also of the law. So God has changed the priesthood, and now he's going to change the law because of that. For he of whom these things are spoken, pertaineth to another tribe. That's the Lord Jesus, of which no man gave attendance at the altar. There was nothing said to another tribe which no man gave attendance at the altar. This other tribe here, there was no mention about anybody in that tribe having anything to do with the Levitical or Aaronic priesthood or any priesthood, but for it is evident now, this is he's making it clear here who he's speaking about. Verse 14, for it is evident that our Lord, hallelujah, if I was in a live congregation, I would say, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And I would hear a roar of thanks and hands going up, praising the Lord, sprang out of Judah. Yeshua was born in the line of Judah, not Levi of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. You see, God bypassed the tribe of Levi and the, and the, and the family of Aaron in this priesthood. He's instituting a greater priesthood, a greater salvation, a greater person in his son, the Lord Jesus. Verse 15, and it is yet far more evident now the writer says, and it is yet far more evident, for that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there ariseth 
another priest. Now he's building up the case in the truth that God has introduced another priest, high priest, after the order of Melchizedek, the similitude of Melchizedek, who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. You see, this new law is in a person. It's in the person of his son. And that's the grace of God in our Lord Jesus. For he testifieth. Now this is God. He testifieth. Thou, that's the Lord Jesus. That's his son. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. That should, that should touch our hearts and our security today to know that God has made an eternal and enduring priesthood in and through the Lord Jesus Christ after the order of this endless uh, priesthood of Melchizedek. That's given us a great high priest in heaven forever. Jesus will forever be able to stand for us eternally. Not that he's going to have to go through the process of sacrifice again, no. But his intercession, his person, his priesthood, God has brought that into being in our Lord Jesus, which is far beyond the Levitical or Aaronic priesthood. For there is a verily a disannulling of the commandment going before. God has disannulled that old covenant, priesthood, and all it meant, and that commandment, a disannulling of it. Why? Why has God done that to the old going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof? You see, it's the weakness of human flesh. God could not find a man righteous except the man he sent into the world, his son, the Lord Jesus. That's how important the person of the Lord Jesus is, that everything hinges on him for us. That's why we must always keep Jesus in focus as our primary person. Everything else is incidental other than himself. So God has entered in now to a new covenant, to a new way, and it's because in and through his Son. It's a far better way. For the law made nothing perfect. That's the law of the Old Testament. For the law made nothing perfect. But, there's God's but, the bringing in of a better hope did. You see, this whole story in this book is showing the excellency, the greatness, the majesty, and the power, and the security. Use all the best words you can to describe our Lord Jesus Christ, God's hope and salvation for us and for the world and for us personally. But the bringing in of a better hope did, that is brought in through the person of our Lord Jesus, by the which we draw nigh unto God. That's how God says, you draw nigh unto me. That's why I want to say, brothers and sisters, if you're hanging on to anything else, even in the old, old station, 
of the Old Testament tabernacle with all its offerings, with all its sacrifices, with all its priesthood, with all its feasts, with all those things associated with that old covenant, it's of no use. No use. Because God now has brought into place his son to be the way to himself. By which we draw nigh to God, and inasmuch as not without an oath he was made priest. For God swore to Jesus that he would make him a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For those priests, brackets, for those priests were made without an oath. These priests did not, God did not make an oath when those priests were called. But this with an oath by him that said unto him, The Lord, now this is God Almighty speaking to his son. The Lord swear and will not repent. There is no change in this. There is no change in whatsoever this order. It doesn't matter who the person is in this world. It doesn't matter if they're Jewish or they're living in Israel today. This situation is God's eternal situation. And this is what he has said. The Lord swear and will not repent. That's not going to change. All the demons and the devil of hell will never change this. All the men in the world will never change this. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. You see, do you get the picture now? Verse 22 sums it up nicely. By so much was Jesus Yeshua. Hallelujah. We could say hallelujah to that. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. Not the old agreement, but now a new agreement. Not the Old Testament, but now a New Testament. This is the truth of the matter of God's truth and his word. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. You see, what the Old Testament with all the priesthood, with all the sacrifice could not do, God can do it for us in Jesus. His sacrifice at Calvary was to take away all our sins. His blood was shed to seal the everlasting covenant. It's been done. Nothing more can be done. That's why it's foolishness and of no sense people trying to resurrect, even if they're Jew or they're Gentile believers, trying to resurrect the old tabernacle and the old covenant. It's futile. God's not interested. He's not going to restore something which is a failure and was a failure. And they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. These priests that held this Old Testament covenant with God were dying, dying, dying. They couldn't stand. They couldn't stand and continue. But they, they died. But this man, that's one of God's butts again. But this man, this man is the man, Christ Jesus. We have so much, we have so much to give thanks for. We have so much obligated to this man. I tell you, there's nothing, 
nothing, nothing else. And the whole of God's economy and heaven and earth are held. That's better than this man. He's our security. He's our hope. He's our life. He's our salvation. He is all we need as fallen human beings who are born in sin and shape and iniquity. We've repented. We've cast ourselves on him. God has forgiven us our sins and helped us to come to that place of a true relationship with the living God. Isn't this a wonderful story? This is the truth. But this man, hallelujah, I just hope and trust and pray that I'll be able to find that God will let me into this heaven. I'd feel unworthy. But if I can get into this heaven through God's grace and mercy, I will just be so thankful for this man, nothing else, this man, Christ Jesus, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. I'll finish off with this next verse. Wherefore, because Jesus is that man, our great high priest, our saviour, He's able to do something for us. Wherefore, he is able. He is able. Never doubt the ability of the Lord Jesus where he is now today. He's absolutely and totally been given the highest place over all of creation. Satan and all his angels and all his demons are under the authority of this man. All of humanity, the world, all the creatures, all the galaxies, all the stars, everything he has made, it's this man. Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost. Hallelujah. Thank God for this man. He's able to save us to the uttermost that come unto God by him. Jesus said when he was here, it's recorded in the Gospels. I am the way and the truth and the life. I think it was Philip said, Lord, show us, show us the Father. And he says, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And he said, how can we get to, where are you going? How can we get there? He said, I am the way, the truth and the life. Seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. We're going to end that there now. That we can be comforted we can be secure. We can be blessed to know that we have such a person in heaven speaking on our behalf. And he's, and he's part of an everlasting priesthood. And he's able to make and save us. I like these words. He's also to save them to the uttermost. That come unto uttermost. I heard one, one old man say at one time, God saved them from the guttermost. To the uttermost. <laughs> That's what God does. But only Jesus can do that. Save us from the guttermost to the uppermost. Uttermost. That come unto God by him. Seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for him. So the same Jesus that came onto this earth, walked and ministered, that, that rubbed shoulders and called those disciples, apostles, is the same Jesus that went to heaven. He's the same Jesus today. 2,000 years later, and I'm looking forward to seeing him. He'll be the same Jesus. And the angel said uh, on the mount when he was up, up to heaven, 
He says, why are you standing gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus shall so come in like manner. Jesus is coming back. The same Jesus. And it's this same Jesus here that has given his life for us. I'll make an intercession for us. So God bless and may the Lord be blessed and thanked for helping us today to get through the scriptures. Amen. Well, that was another good session, wasn't it? I listened to everything you were saying there. I didn't go ahead. <laughs> well, not very far. <laughs> oh, well, I hope everybody enjoyed that session. I did. And um, it's time to say goodbye for now, but we will be back soon. We will be back, won't we, Hugh? Yes, go on, Wally. Yes. Amen. So bye-bye, everybody. See you again soon. Bye.